Sal Berry. Nothing's more depressing than spending $4 on a pack and getting all base cards. And Tim Parrish. The kids don't want the crappy packs of cards that cost a dollar, that have nothing in it, that aren't worth anything. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about 2021-22 Upper Deck Extended Series. Don't call it Series 3, which I am guilty of doing. Call it Extended Series because that's what they want to call it. But I guess we could call it whatever you want. Tim, how you been? Oh, I've been okay. Just uh, out here living the dream. Yeah, so you had a tree fall on your driveway. On my driveway? No, it fell on the house. Oh, oh. It fell on the house and was moved to the driveway. Oh, okay. Because nobody wants it on their house. So the driveway was a better place for it. Um, yeah, that happened. A big storm that rolled through the Chicagoland area. Took out one of our trees in our front yard and split the thing in half. Now, that was two weeks back. And then uh, this past weekend, there was some pretty heavy rains. Did your house like sink or something after that? Or were you okay? Um, no, this past weekend, my wife had back surgery, so that was the only storm that happened here. Wow. How is she? Um, she's doing better. I mean, she's got two weeks of bed rest and then it's potentially up to eight weeks of recovery. You know, I have to help her, help her get around and all that kind of good stuff. And if she does get up and walk around, she has to have a back brace on. She had a couple vertebrae braid ground down and the disc taken out because it was completely shot and damaged and had to have a cyst removed that was pressing on her spinal cord. And you sure she's going to want you to talk about this on our podcast? She don't listen. Well, I think our five listeners who do listen to this show are glad that you're so honest and open about what's been going on in your life. I got Most people, I... they're like, how you doing? I'm fine. But you're like, we're like, how you doing? You're like, well, a tree fell on my house and my wife had back surgery and I got to take care of her for eight weeks. And uh, otherwise, you no, said a tree fell on my driveway and I had to correct you because it fell right. on the house. The, it the actually, pictures it, yeah. that you sent me were of a tree on your driveway. The first picture I sent you, it was fell, fell backwards and it was sideways against the garage. So that's right. where it fell originally and it hit the side of the garage. The picture I took, I had already cut half of that down to get all the branches off of the siding i wanted to see if they poked holes in the siding or anything so Mm -hmm. long story short it was fine we got way lucky on it but i had to have somebody come out and remove the rest of the tree and i wasn't going to leave the stump so i had to take the stump too dude speaking of tree removal the tree in front of my house had like dead branches so the city city of chicago those guys are out there with chainsaws and trucks and stuff and they're cutting 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 i come out there i'm like you're going to cut down that dead branch that's hanging over the walkway, right? And the guy's like, buddy, the whole tree's coming down. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm thinking, well, I still see a lot of leaves on the tree. So it didn't seem like a dead tree. But then again, if they were going to cut the whole tree down, they probably had a good reason for it. Because the city doesn't do anything unless they absolutely have to. You know what I mean? So It's usually a safety thing or it's utility related. Or sometimes it's like disease related. Like I remember when there was the outbreak of those uh, Asian beetles and once the tree got them, they'd have to cut down the tree because it was an infestation. So 
Trees are a funny thing. They fall on your house or they die and branches fall or they get infected or whatever. But they also make cardboard, which makes hockey cards. See how I did that? So great little transition there. So we're going to actually talk not about all the problems in our lives right now. I have no problems. If I had a tail, I would wag it. So Upper Deck (laughs) Extended Series. As I said last year when we talked about Extended Series, I like the fact that we have three series of Upper Deck Hockey cards. I'm a fan of Series 1. I'm a fan of Series 2. I remember asking them about five years ago, why don't you make a Series 3? They just said there wasn't retailer interest. The retailers didn't want it. But they somehow made it happen. And they've made it happen for two years in a row. And it's even bigger this year. Last year, it was 200 base cards, 30 young guns. This time, it's 200 base cards and 50 young guns. That brings our total set size up to 750 cards. That's 600 base cards between the three series and 150 young guns, which is pretty awesome if you ask me. I like it. I like the series. I'm glad there's more of it. I have some thoughts and some, I don't say complaints, but yeah, maybe complaints about the set. But overall, I'm super happy that they came out with an extended series for a second year in a row. And I hope they continue to do that. Well, I'm sure they will. They got to get their money when they can, right? And that's the thing. People really like Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2. I mean, that's that always sells. I'd argue that it probably sells better than Opeachy. It probably sells better than a lot of their high-end products. I'm sure Uh, it sells better than all of that. Well, price point is way higher on some of those higher-end products. And they're going to make more on the top end, but I think some of those cost more to make. Well, know. absolutely. I mean, think about yeah. it. Say like Black Diamond. Or Chase Young Guns. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though, is that a lot of these other sets, we don't see them at mass retail like we are with Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2. So it's at mass retail. It's in hobby shops. It's on EPAC. And people chase the Young Guns. So it absolutely makes sense to make three series and maybe even going forward maybe they hold back some of those better rookies for the extended update series whatever you want to call it and not just kind of putting who they can in series one who they can in series two and then whoever's kind of left over in extended series although it sounds like there's some pretty good guys in this set which we'll get to yeah i mean do you want to talk about the rookies in the set now okay so like you already mentioned there's 50 instead of 30 so you have 150 total young guns and one would look at that and go really there's 150 rookies to choose from in the nhl there's probably actually more than that but that is a lot that may cause people to question whether or not the print run the checklists is watered down i guess so to speak just because you start running out of names you know not everybody's a power hitter like cole caulfield or Moritz cider you know those guys that carried series one and series two but there are some pretty good names in there i mean alexander holtz is in this list from the devils and holtz is a, he's a really good player he's only 20 and a really good winger because he's an international player i haven't seen him play that much except for in the world championship. But, you know, he was a crucial part of the gold winning team for the U18 team when he was on it. So he's been a centerpiece to a lot of, a lot of really good Swedish teams. 
last few years, and you know, I think he has some upside. Um, so that's a decent, decent one. You know, just looking down the list, list, there's a couple of Kings players on here that are pretty decent. Alex Turcott and Sean Dersey are both in that checklist. Turcott, I think he may not jump right off the page at you, but I think when you see his playmaking ability and his ability to make plays happen out on the ice, I think people will start to pay more attention outside of the general Kings fan base. Is playmaking ability and ability to make plays on the ice, are those two different things or are those different words for the same things? Those are two different things. Oh, okay. Just making sure. One's more of an innate nature and the other one is an ability thing based off of circumstance, I guess. You know, if you can go out there and read the ice and you have vision to be able to know where the play is going to be. Think of Crosby, and I'm by no means comparing Alex Turcott to Crosby, although he is a center. But think of like his vision that he has, always knowing where people are, always knowing where he could put the puck, always thinking a couple steps ahead and knowing where that ability is going to take him. Turcott has you know, that kind of vision, and he's already shown it. He's a good, solid rookie that's in that group. Now, again, these aren't guys that are going to overpower the first two, but when people give a bad rap to extended and say, oh, well, it's just a bunch of the throwaway young guns and garbage young guns, it's not always the case. You know, if you're looking at making some money off of some of these guys, maybe this is a crop you have to sit on for a little while longer. Maybe this isn't a crop of rookies that are going to be powerhouses right out of the box and make the starting lineups on day one of the season. These might be guys that filled in a little bit last year, you know, showed up in the playoffs, maybe played a few games down the stretch, are highly touted coming up through the various systems that they belong to. So, I mean, there might not be household names here, but there could be in the future. I mean, another one on the list is Seth Jarvis. He's another one I really like, you know, the center for the Hurricanes. Great player. Just looking down the list real quick, he probably played more games than anybody else on that checklist of those rookies in that grouping. I could be wrong on that because I'm not looking at stats in front of me, but just name recognition alone, thinking of how many times I heard his name during the season versus some of these other guys. So Jarvis might be a more familiar name to the casual hockey fan. He's kind of... um, I don't want to say he's a grinder type guy because he's not really a grinder, but he's very physical. He has no problem going and dragging people with him. Let's put it that way. So he's a strong player there. So, I mean, right there, you've got four guys that are pretty good. And there's others. I'm leaving a bunch out. No offense to the Scott Perunoviches of the world, who's also a pretty decent player for the Blues. Yeah, you want to talk about the three Ps? The three Ps on that list that are fairly decent, um, Perunovic, Paterka, John Jason Paterka. I always thought that was an interesting name. John Jason, it's hyphenated. But he's a really good up-and-coming player for the uh, newly rebuilt or rebuilding Sabres. He's a personality type guy, too, I think. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops. And uh, was it Alexei Protas from the Capitals? He's Belarusian. He's got a lot of upside for the future. Let's put it that way. He's probably going to take a little while while longer to develop, but he's got a lot of upside. I think he's like 21. 
So those three guys I would probably put on just to the bottom of the top. Mm-hmm. You know, if we were ranking all of the young guns in extended, I would probably put the first three or four guys I mentioned at the very top. And then these guys would be like the next mm-hmm. three below that. And then everybody else. Well, and again, the- there's probably diamonds in the rough in here. You just don't know. It might take a year. might take two years. might take three years. You never know. It seems like almost in every upper deck set, there's maybe one or two young guns that become the ones that are sought after. There's probably then out of the, okay, so there's 50, and one is always a checklist, so there's 49. So then out of the 49, maybe one or two of them become like Stephen Stamkos' young gun or John Tavares' young gun or Patrick Kane' young gun or Carey Price, right? Like there are cards that reach that plateau and like people are chasing after but then you get like a lot that end up being of like really great players that are maybe overshadowed but then you get like maybe a third of them or maybe a fourth of them either just become like decent nhl players and then you have a percentage of them that never play in the nhl again They get called up for that one game. Upper Deck says, oh, we really need to have another player. Let's throw this guy in there. He made it in for the cutoff, and we can include him. But it's a guy that has the cup of coffee or the goalie that sits on the bench as a backup and doesn't actually play. And then they get a card, and then they're kind of never seen or heard from again. Then they're in the KHL, or then they're just kind of in the minors for, like, the rest of their career. Or they might get called up, you know, five or six years later to like appear in like another game not all 50 players are going to be great not all 50 players are necessarily going to be nhlers you know that's just kind of how it is right but you look back to those sets from like the 90s when it was just carte blanche on who they could include a rookie card of and most of those guys didn't really play in the nhl i mean look at any of those world junior championship sets which we talked about in a past episode where you had like five or 10 guys who became good NHLers and then like the rest just didn't really play in the NHL or they were drafted, but they never played. So it's kind of like that. Yeah. And you have it every year. I mean, you look at it during the season, you'll have a couple players that just are having a breakout season. They come out of nowhere and they're usually guys that have been in the league a few years. People know them, but they're not like superstars, but they're just playing a tier above their pay grade. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, I got to get his rookie card. Right. Where is it? Who knows? Oh, it's in, you know, 2013, 14 upper deck. He's been in the league that long? I didn't know that. Maybe he showed up in three games and got sent down to the minors for three years before he made it back up. And so he disappeared. He was on the checklist. Nobody remembers because nobody's heard that name for a long time. or wanted to even talk about it. Now, all of a sudden, Joe Schmo's young gun from 10 years ago is selling for 50 bucks when well, it was 50 perfect, cents a week ago. Perfect example. Maybe not a perfect example, but I think a pretty good example. Brent Burns, his young gun was in 0304. I don't think anybody was really collecting him until he made it to the sharks, but those first six or seven years or whatever, when he was with the wild, nobody was really collecting his cards. And then when he became a Sharks player and then he blossomed into an all-star, then all of a sudden his young gun just shot up. We've talked about this a million times. Defensemen get no love in this hobby. So right there, there's strike one. Strike two, 
by the time he became popular and became the personality that he is and gained all of that popularity in San Jose, people identified him for one thing. And that was, well, two things, no teeth and giant beard. Mm-hmm. And you go back to any of his cards from his first few years in the league, teeth, no beard. <laughs> so it's very easy to overlook that he's not even there. You know, you'd be like, who the heck is this guy? Many years back when I, I was dating this woman and she got into hockey because I was into hockey and I showed her a picture of Brent Burns and I said, who is this player? And I covered up his name and she looked at it and she says, I have no idea. I don't even know anybody on the wild. And then I said, it's Brent Burns. And she said, well, how the hell am I supposed to recognize him? He has all his teeth and he has no hair. Yeah. So exactly what you said. Yeah. All this would be teeth, like no hair. This would be like trying to look up at the stage and see this ZZ Top cover band when it's actually ZZ Top and they just shaved all their beards and facial hair off. Mm. Yeah, you would have no idea. You'd be like, what is going on here? What is going on so, here? It's like Kiss Without Makeup. Well, Remember existed. that phase? They existed without makeup for a very long time. Yeah, and then so, they went back to it. So he talks. Don't change what's working, right? Speaking of which, did you pull out of the box you opened? The younger Slavin brother, because he's in that young gun list too. I know. Uh, I did not get for a the young... for the Blackhawks. I did not get his young gun. I didn't get any Blackhawk young gun. So I did open a box so far. Josiah. Josiah Slavin. So a couple things I want to say though about the base set. So you got your two hundred card base set. You got two checklists. So one hundred and ninety eight cards and two checklists. But they did something a little different this year. So the first 166 cards are like, you know, four, five, six players from each team. And they included another five Kraken cards. And then they do 12 all-star cards. First team all-star, second team all-star. And they're different. They use like a close-up picture of the player. So it's like a different card to collect of the 12 best players. But then they put another 20 Kraken players in the set with a little stripe that says inaugural game how long have we been saying where are the cracking cards where are the cracking cards where are the cracking cards you want some here you go oh wait here's some more you know what we're just going to throw them all in there because cracking collectors have been salivating for these and they had no other options up to this point they had what one card in parkhurst maybe one card in the the national hockey card day set and a couple of game dated moments cards up to that point. I mean, now there's the full Kraken set that you can get, the commemorative set, if you want more Kraken cards. But up to this point, there wasn't really anything other than from Series 2 and now Extended. So I think it's good for an inaugural team to get as much exposure as they can so that they can get the hobby boost. And I think the Kraken fans and collectors have been waiting for this for a while. So it's not going to be every year. They're not going to do this next year. It wouldn't surprise me if this went down to where it was last year. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that we had an expansion team, so they had to commemorate it somehow. I'm fine with it. I don't have a problem. Where else are you going to get a Nathan Bastion card that doesn't have somebody else's name on it? So, okay, so yeah, so we have like, 30-ish Kraken cards between the two series, which is more than any other team, I think, which I guess is cool. A little strange that 
they gave so much attention to the Kraken, but then at the same time, and I'm dating myself with this reference, but way back in 91-92, score American was 440 cards. And then they did 110 card box set rookies and update. And like 20 cards in that set are like San Jose Sharks. Like they basically could put all the Sharks that they could in there. There were a few Sharks in in score hockey for, well, in the U.S. and in the Canada. This is 91-92. But, you know, they were just like head and shoulder close-up shots where they were wearing like the Sharks jersey. And then in the update set, they put like a ton of Sharks to make up for that. So, I mean, this sort of thing does happen. You know, and then you mentioned the box set. I actually um, actually got a set of that. I posted a review of that last week. I'll link to that. That seems kind of funny that, like, they did this box set, and then they did this, uh, <laughs> and they did extended series, and they basically put all of the same guys. I get it. It's different cards of the same guys and more cards for team collectors to chase. And that's fine. That makes sense. It's kind of like we got all these cracking cards at the very end. Like you said, here you go. But it was like instead of kind of like what they did with the Knights where they put some in Series 1, they put some in Series 2. But then they also put out a Knights set, which actually had all of the players that played for the Knights that season. All 35 guys who appeared in at least one game. So... I mean, think about how irate everybody was when the Series 1 checklist came out and there were no Kraken on the list. I know, man. Like, like show a player in the jersey just at a press conference or something. The fact that they doubled down on it by extended, I'm fine with. Well, a little more than doubled down. I mean, they just kind of, like, <laughs> it was kind of like. <laughs> you, figure, you figure that last, how many are there, 20 in that last grouping? Yeah. So there's 20 of those. You figured there would have been five of them in Series 1. So there's only 15 extra. Yeah, that's true. That's not, that's not that many. Right. So, okay, a little unconventional, but that's okay. They tried to get all the guys in the the new Kraken jerseys, and that's cool. The other thing that I was a little overwhelmed by was just the sheer amount of inserts that you can get. Now, I didn't get all of these in the box that I opened, but just to... Overwhelmed good or overwhelmed bad? A little bit of both. First, overwhelmed good, but then almost like too much of a good thing. You have your canvas set, which is fine. People like canvas. You know what? If canvas was easier to put together, I'd put it together. But I'm not going to pay $100-ish for a canvas young gun of a player if I'm just kind of lukewarm to the idea of putting together canvas, right? So there's like canvas cards, there's canvas rookies as usual, and then they did canvas mascots, which are so hard to pull. You get one in roughly every four hobby boxes. Did you pull one? I did not. But I've seen them. They all look cool. They look cool, and that's. But that's I'm fine the, with my MVP ones. Well, that's the thing, though. Is that notice how mascots are are kind of becoming like those ultimate chase cards? I mean. They're a little easier to pull an MVP, but you notice how they're like becoming like the gritty Joker card that was an OPG where they did the playing cards like gritty was the Joker, which just made sense. But how that was a tough pull, how the mascot cards are not easy to come by. They're kind of hard to come by, which I think kind of sucks because the kids really like the mascots. And yet 
that would be like the way to make them a little more accessible, to make the hobby a little more accessible to the kids. I know we talk about the kids. It's not about the kids. It's about the grumpy old men who are investing and flipping and whatnot. Segue to something later on that I'm going to bring up. Yep. I watched a video today. You talk about the kids. I'll bring that up towards the end. Okay. I'll make a note of that. I mean, I Yeah, I know what you're saying. Even the National Hockey Card Day packs, the mascots are very, very short printed. I mean, when I do card shows, everybody wants to look at the mascot cards that I have. And I don't really have that much because if I get them and I sell them, they sell. I mean, people buy them. People want them. There's a demand for this. There's a demand for this. Like, people want these cards. I don't think they just want them because they're rare. Mascots kind of appeal to the hockey fans who are also, like, Pokemon fans are also like anime fans are also like D&D fans. You know what I mean? Kind of like the sports geek, if that makes sense. Not the like hardcore series like, oh, I only collect PSA 10 Ovechkins. But like, oh my God, that victory green mascot is ridiculous. I want that card. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. Or, oh, I, I like the Capitals and I really want a slap shot card. Or, or Iceberg, because I like the Penguins, or because I like big mascots who beat up Jean-Claude Van Damme. Whatever your reason is. I mean, I kind of wish that the mascots in the Canvas series were a little bit easier than one in every 96 packs. I have seen a lot of them pop up on various selling platforms. But here's just an idea of the other inserts. What do you get in a box? Like 17 of them? I got 18 inserts and six young guns. So every pack had either a young gun or some sort of insert, which I like. One per pack. That sounds sounds right. No, no. And I like that because nothing's more depressing than spending $4 on a pack and getting all base cards. That's just sad. Four or five dollars, whatever. But these are the inserts that you could get. You can get 2006, 2007 upper deck base cards or 2006 2007 young guns so now we're seeing designs from 0607 pop up however there's also 0506 black diamond retro inserts however there's also 2001 2002 upper deck young gun retro inserts however there are also 1999 2000 spx retro inserts so we have four different insert sets from four different years and then on top of that we have spx finite but i don't think they're designed to look like anything in particular i think they're just spx finite they're not like a throwback to a certain year if i am correct holographics and holographic rookies which i mean holographics was 98 99 but these don't really look like 98 99 like last year's did design's different Yeah, and then UD3 makes a comeback, but I think UD3 was only around for one season as well, if I remember correctly, and these are not based on that design from what I can tell. Of course, that was kind of the gray area when I wasn't really collecting cards, so I don't really know my late 90s and early 2000 cards like I do my late 80s and early 90s cards. Oh, and then there's also Dazzlers. There's also Triple Dimensions Reflections. There's something called Record Collection, which looks like a record. Unfortunately, they're not round. They're rectangular, which is a missed opportunity. Because if they were die-cut circles that look like records, a little hole punched in the middle of it, that would have been awesome. If Pacific was making them, they would have been. And then, if you're looking for what happened to Trilogy, 
Well, they're inserted in here too, because 2021-22 trilogy is also an insert that you can pull from Upper Deck Extended Series. So that is a lot of different inserts, and that's what I mean about overwhelming in like a bad way. Okay, I get that Upper Deck is kind of like doing this 15-year or 20-year thing. I think we all like the 0506 inserts from a year ago. I mean, I like them. I like the 0607 inserts because here's a fun little fact about yours truly. Even though I started collecting hockey cards again with 0506 Parkers, because those came out at the end of that season, really 0607 Upper Deck is where I really jumped in headfirst into the pool. Like 0506 Parkhurst was me dipping my toe back in the pool to see if I wanted to jump in the water, right? Because everything else was kind of sold out at that point. There was no upper deck. There was no MVP. There was no victory because it was already the end of the season. And everybody was buying up the packs and the boxes because of Crosby and Ovechkin. So when Parkhurst came out, I said, okay, cool. I'm going to collect this set. And then... After I did that, I'm like, all right, I love collecting cards. And then I jumped in with Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2 and 0607. So to me, I like those inserts because now they remind me of 15 years ago when I was younger and dumber. And (laughs) I can't say spent more money on cards, but maybe I did back then. I don't know. I'm not really keeping track. Can't really compare when the cards were so much cheaper back then. Yeah, it was less of a risk. It kind of was, you know? I mean, and you know, the other thing too was I was buying a lot of retail back then, but Upper Deck used to have these coupons that they would put. Do you remember the little shell game that they'd have on their website where you'd pick a locker and it would give you a coupon code? Yeah, they were the same codes that were on those the slug inserts. Well, that's what it was. The spacers. So the upper deck would put these slugs, the the thick cards, the decoys that you thought might be a jersey card in a pack. And it would say, go to upperdeck.com and enter in this code. And you'd enter in this code and then you get to play this little like a shell game, right? You know, the three card Monty, is that what it's called? You know, you have to pick the right card. But it was like the three little lockers would appear and you'd have to click one of the lockers And then a little thing would pop up and be like, save 10% off your next order at UpperDeck.com or save 15 or save 20. And I think every now and then I would pull one that said save 50% off your order. So I remember like ordering 10 boxes of Series 2 retail packs from UpperDeck.com. And basically getting a whole box for $48. But I bought 10 boxes because if you're going to get them for, uh, what is there? There's 24 packs in a box. Oh, no, wait. I think they might have even been $36 a box. I can't remember what it was with the 50% off coupon. But they were, like, cheaper than if I went and bought retail packs at Target or Walmart were, like, 3 bucks. And I want to say this was about maybe a buck fifty a pack or something. So whenever I got 50% off, I would just buy... 10 boxes and go to town and uh you know i mean then they did away with that i guess everybody was doing that and it was undercutting the retailers like yeah i mean you could go and buy a hobby pack for four dollars or you could buy a retail pack for a buck fifty how much do you really want the possibility of maybe getting a jersey card yeah i'll pass on that one exactly 
But I think what's overwhelming is like we have SPX inserts from 99. We have Young Guns inserts from 2001. We have Black Diamond inserts from 2005, which granted look nice, but maybe those would have been more appropriate last year because that was the 15th anniversary of 0506. I think until somebody absolutely gets sick of it or climbs to the top of a clock tower, whichever comes first, this is just going to be a recycled thing from now until the end of time. We're just going to figure out, is it the five year of something, the 10 year of something, the 20 year of something, and we're just going to use that design until people are done with it. <laughs> now you don't have to think about anything. You just keep recycling designs and you go back 10 years and say, okay, 10 years ago, what was in this set? Oh, this insert, this insert. Yeah, let's bring back this one. Let's go back 20 years. Okay, let's bring back this one. And you could just do that endlessly with endless mathematical calculations of which varieties to use from now until the end of time. And that's okay, but I think there needs to be maybe a little restraint in that. The restraint would be they're not putting all of the sets back out. They're only doing a few. Yeah, but I mean, it makes sense if it's like 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, 15 years. I guess divisible by five is kind of where it's at. I think when it's like the 13th anniversary of the set, it's like, who cares? I mean, I even remember when Upper Deck put five-year anniversary cards in their 95-96 set where they like reprinted some of the rookie cards from 90-91. And on the front... Yeah, you had the 90-91 with a smaller font on the front. And yep. on the back, it was uh, whatever the picture was from that season. Yeah, updated picture. Like the Paul Coffey one has the penguins on the front, and you flip it over, and he's I think he was on the wings at that point. Right, and then, and then five years after that, in 0102, or uh, maybe 2000, 2001, rather, then they did them... Um, they had like shiny rainbow foil borders. I think they were current players, but it was like that design. But then it was like current players, retro design, but then on foil, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, Upper Deck has gone to that well before. It's not like this is a relatively new thing. The dam is broken and they're just flooding the market with all of these retro parallels that I don't know if we really need or retro inserts. Like, again... Do the 99-2000 SPX retros look nice? Yes, they do. I pulled one of Leon Dreisaitl, and it is a damn nice-looking card. I mean, I think it's I think it's a sharp-looking card. I don't know how many cards are in the series, but maybe it would be nice if we got that a little easier and maybe did away with, like, the SPX Finite, which eh, was maybe a year ago. It was kind of cool, but, like, now I'm, like, not really interested so much. Or, like, the... um. UD3, which are die cut, or at least the one that I got is die cut numbered, and it's got foil on it. Man, all it needs to do is glow in the dark and it would do everything. Die cut, foil, serial numbered. That was, um, what's the word? That was uh, groundbreaking printing technology in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it was. Now it's like, eh. That's that's what we've come to. We went from, wow, this is awesome, to, eh. Been there, done that. Upper deck, if you're listening, I know what you need to do next year. I, I know exactly what you need to do next year. I'd be the only one who likes this, but you should do this because it hasn't been done before. They're making you a need, set just for sale. You need to bring back 
power deck. Oh, geez. Can you imagine? You can't. If, you can't. Nobody no, has a CD player. That's nobody why has, hilarious. Nobody has Windows a, 95. So it's it's can't happen. If you got a card that was a mini CD and you needed a CD-ROM drive on your computer, which I have, by the way, because I'm a computer guy, so I can read all of the things. I even have an external floppy disk drive. I got to plug it in via USB, but still, if somebody came to me with a floppy disk, I'd be like, oh, cool, I can actually read that because I have the floppy disk drive, but it's external. But you get the idea. So Power right. Deck, this would be a this would be a set just for you. Power Deck, for those of you who don't know about Power Deck, and we talked about this in one episode where we talked about sets that we want to see come back. I think that was a set I said I wanted to come back. I'm um, sure it was. They were these little CD-ROMs, and you'd pop them in, and there'd be like an animation, and then like you could click around and learn more about the players. Like there was like stats and biography and stuff. I mean, it's very simple stuff, but. This is what I learned to do in college. I was a multimedia student. I was a multimedia major. I focused on web design, but I also learned like, you know, when CD-ROMs were a thing. And I'm kind of sad that that set flew under my radar because I was so busy in school that I didn't even notice that there was like a set of collectible hockey CD-ROMs, mini CD-ROMs that came out. But then like there were like videos, like you could click and then it'd show like a highlight video. That'd be funny if that came back now and everybody's like, what the hell am I going to do with this, right? And then they just end up in like the quarter bin or something. And I'd just be like, yeah, and picking them up on EPAC for 28 cents each. You could easily do all of the things that those are designed to do without the CD. I mean, a simple QR code could take you exactly where you wanted to be. Oh, there you but go. If somebody opened up a pack and they got a card that was just a QR code, I'm sure you would hear about it. <laughs> Well, what if what people if the, would be irate? What if the front was a photo and in the back had the QR code? It's kind of like the bounty program where they have all the bounties and you have the scratch offs on the back and you have to redeem the codes to take advantage of the bounty program. It's the same kind of thing. Just take a card, put it on the back, slap a QR code. If somebody wants to know the stuff, everybody's got a phone that can scan, whether it's an iPhone or an Android or whatever the heck you have. Or hold it up to your computer screen, and that works too. You know, camera on your laptop or whatever. And so, I mean, there, there's there's means to access that digital information. I don't think the CD-ROM thing is the way to go. Okay, so you don't think Upper Deck is going to insert have the Power Deck inserts in next year's extended series? I'm going to go out on a limb and bet the under on that one. Okay, bet the under on that. How about like be a player inserts from 95, 96 where they're like playing pool and stuff? See, those I wouldn't have a problem with, and I'm sure they would reserve that stuff for Canvas because that's where all the interesting pictures generally go. So yeah. Is it either that or do like a photo variation kind of thing like they is, did with suits and all of that. Is it just me or is like every other card in the Canvas series, the guy playing soccer before the game, like warming up with the soccer ball? A lot of them were over the years. A lot of Capitals and Flyers players, it seems like. Yeah, I guess you're right. We we kind of do have that with, like, the Suits variants. That's a good point. You could yeah. do a whole subset of them like that, rather than make them, like, SP or mm-hmm. SSPs. Just do, like, a here's a subset, like, Leisure Time, or I don't know, call it something else. Leisure Time. You know, like, and thinking about, like... too much like Leisure Suit Larry. 
classic, classic game. Uh, Seeing as how, like, Upper Deck has all these IPs for all these old hockey sets like Fleer Ultra, I know Fleer's kind of like its own product. They've done, like, Fleer Retro in the past. But, you know, to maybe see, like, an old Fleer Ultra design pop up in, like, next year's extended series. They'll throw it in metal if they have one. That's what they keep doing. All the FLIR design, Skybox, Showcase, everything that was FLIR has been like buried in the metal brand. Speaking of metal, weren't they supposed to put out a metal universe set this year? Yeah. So I, I didn't imagine that. I didn't daydream that. That that was actually something that was announced. Uh, it was. As far as where it stands on the master timeline mm-hmm. is kind of up in the air i mean you know everything everybody knows everything's been delayed because of be able to obtain raw materials and everything else paper's mm-hmm. been a big issue for mm-hmm. a lot of the manufacturers and all of that kind of thing so i don't know if that's what the holdup is on it i think when we first talked about that coming out i think the original release date on it was supposed to be sometime in like march but then I mean, Series 1 got pushed, Series 2 got pushed, everything mm. got pushed. There's sell sheets for it out there. There's there's mock-up photos of pretty much all the inserts and everything else. I believe they even made announcements for 22-23. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they won't give up on it. Let's put it that way. It'll just be a late release, and we'll end up with last year's product in this year, which will be next year. So two years ago product. Like we've wow. been seeing. Well, maybe that's what's going to end up is uh, being inserted in next year's extended series will be all the cards that were supposed to come out but didn't, kind of like they did with Trilogy. Yeah, you kill Trilogy, you throw it in here. Ice was killed as a standalone release and inserted elsewhere. So you got to make do with what you get as far as where that goes going forward. But, you know. It'd be nice to see that, but yeah, to your point about the FLIR designs, I'm sure they'll get thrown into metal at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably safe to say. So what was this kid's video you wanted to talk about? It was it was kind of nothing, but kind of something. Golden actually tweeted out a photo or a video of a little kid. This um, is Golden Auctions? Yes. Okay. Um. It's a little kid at a card show. Mm. I mean, I don't know the kid, but and he might be a great kid for all I know. But the person that's shooting the video is talking to him and essentially asks him what he collects. And the kid's like, I collect vintage cards. And you're like, oh, wow. You're thinking a kid collecting vintage cards, right? And he starts to say that his favorite player to collect is Hank Aaron. It's like, wow, here's a little kid, like little, little kid. Knows about Hank Aaron, collecting vintage cards, and you're like getting excited about it. And then he starts using words like, these guys are the best investment. They're a solid, solid investment to put your money in. And just going on and on, like saying all this stuff, and I'm going, like my mind literally exploded. Like it came out of my eyeball sockets. I had to use a towel to wipe it out. I lost some brain matter and, you know, I kind of made the comment that, you know, that's not my collecting style by any means, 
But, you know, if that's what hobby realm you live in, clearly it's good because you got kids involved in the hobby. But to me, I'm looking at that. I'm like, these kids aren't spouting off. I'm collecting, you know, so-and-so because he's my favorite player and I like to, I want to be like him. It's, I'm putting all my money into vintage because that's a solid investment right now. And the markets aren't, aren't fluctuating as much and I'm not going to lose out on my investment strategy if I keep investing in vintage cards. And I'm like, I don't even talk like that. How old was this kid, do you think? I have no idea. Dude, you had can't kids, be, so Can't guess. be more than 12. Can't be more than 12. All right, so between 10 and 12, we'll say, right? Maybe. Like okay. I, said, I don't know the kid. I don't know. He might be somebody that worked there's kid that he was just talking to. I don't know how else he would know all of this stuff. I saw that very early today, and it just, like, kind of set me off. And I'm like, you know, yeah, the kids want to collect. And the kids don't want the crappy packs of cards that cost a dollar, that have nothing in it, that aren't worth anything. I get it. They don't want garbage jersey cards with a plain white swatch on them of a player that no one's ever heard of. I get it. You know, we don't as adults or as older collectors, the kids don't want that crap either. They see right through it. But at the same time, uh, where do you draw the line on that? I don't know. That's not my realm. I'm not in that realm, and I guess I shouldn't have an opinion on it. Wow. All I could say was it, it was wow. And I did. I retweeted it this morning and just put my two cents on it. I don't know if people looked at it or watched the video or something. We'll, but we'll put a link to the video so they can chime in their thoughts on it as well. Looking at it for what it is, like I said, it's great. Here's a young kid involved in the hobby, collecting vintage knows about Hank Aaron. All of those were positive things. And it was just like this roller coaster going uphill. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to get to the top. This is going to be so awesome. I'm so excited. And then it hits the top and it's like, invest. And instead of going down the hill and being excited, the track ran out and everybody died. That's kind of how I felt when I watched it. The example I'm going to give you, I was a little bit older, but when I was 15, the one card I wanted more than any other card was the Tony Esposito rookie card, 6970 Opeachy. Okay, so this was 1990. So the card was 20 years old. So it would have been vintage by my standards. Having a card from 1969 just seemed unimaginable to me. And I remember just trying to track one of these down and calling every card shop I could in Canada and spending the money on long distance calls to buy a card that I could not find in Chicago because it was an Opeachy card. And so I can relate on that level that here's this card of this player that I never saw play, but I want to have his rookie card because he's an important part of the team history. And he was like my aunt's favorite player when she was younger. And I had those reasons for wanting it, but I never once thought, oh, this card would be a great investment. Even though at that point I knew enough to put cards in penny sleeves and not like tape them to my notebook or something stupid like that that I might have done five or ten years earlier. But yeah, that is kind of depressing. You're right, though. Kids don't want the quote-unquote garbage cards. But then here's the thing. If the kids don't want the garbage cards and the adults don't want the garbage cards, why do they keep making garbage cards? Why don't they just make packs of cards that just have all hits? Because I guess they do. But the price point on those is astronomically through the roof. Oh, X 
actually, I'm glad I brought that up because you know what? I wanted to say, okay, what was funny about these black diamond inserts that look like the 0506 black diamond is that now black diamond is like this high end set that's like 300 ish dollars a box. I'm looking at these and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, black diamond back when like, you know, you had your single diamond, double diamond, triple diamond, quadruple diamonds, and maybe the quad diamonds were one per box. So it was a tough set to put together, but it was a box that you could afford to buy. Right. We've talked about that numerous times. I mean, Black Diamond was always like my Achilles heel. For years, it would come out and I would say to myself, I'm not buying it. But yet somehow I always would. And I'd try to build the set because that was a nice one of those sets that you can tier it where everybody's got all 80 of the main base cards. And then the next grouping is a little harder to get. And then the next grouping is a little harder to get. And like you said, there might be one quad diamond in a box or maybe two, a veteran player and a rookie or something of that nature. But yeah, when it switched over to a high premium set where it was five cards, six cards a box, all hits, except for one base card or something like that, that was serial numbered is like, I used to get skunked on $100 boxes of black diamond. How do you think I'm going to feel on a $400 box of Black Diamond? I'm not doing it. I'm just not. It depends how much you like Canucks, Blue Jackets, Wild, and uh, Sabres, and, and Hurricanes, right? Because, yeah, you know that, what I mean? It's it's like, oh, cool. It's the goalie well, it, from the team that I don't like. Yay. And the other thing, too, it's the crossover thing. And it was like I was telling you earlier. I saw another conversation about... The, the blowout buzz thing on, on Twitter brought mm-hmm. up, you know, that they don't think that there's a lot of set builders in the hobby anymore. They think it's an all-time low. They might be right because things like that, they come out, Black Diamond, yeah, sure. Hit, 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 hit. That's not a set builder set. That's not something you're going to buy. And God forbid if it was, no set builder is going to fork out 300 bucks for a box to try to build a set of even if it was only 50 cards you get one base card in a box you're not going to buy 50 boxes of that at 300 bucks a pop to chase down the single cards that's what i did with uh 1617 ud black i liked the base set and i put together the whole base set for less than the cost of what one box would have cost me yeah, so you had to find all of the people, though, to that were selling the cards, or unless you found one dealer that had them all, you know, tracking them all down. Okay, I need this card. I need this card. I need this card. How many cards were in that? Uh, it was something like 50, well, we'll just say like 50 cards. Yeah, so it wasn't like a 200-card base set. So it wasn't like you were chasing 200 cards, and somebody was trying to make back the 300 bucks out of the six cards that they opened out of that box. and try to sell a base card for $60. Yeah. Because no one's going to build that set. Absolutely not. I mean, the thing is, is like the most expensive card that was like, it was a, there was a second year Connor McDavid in the base set. And I think I paid like maybe 30 for that. But that was when it was just his second year. And it wasn't like, he was a big deal, but not the big deal that he is now. And I think like most of the cards, I probably bought them for like 99 cents plus like 2.99 shipping or something. I mean, most of the cards I got for like five, six bucks each. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Cause to me, it was worth it. They were numbered out of 2.99 and 
you know, they were kind of like thicker cards, so they couldn't be PWE shipped, and that's okay. You know, sometimes you have to pay more to get the things that you want. The only base set that I've ever ventured out to put together that I can think of off the top of my head that's right. high priced. Yep. Or a and high which one ticket. you're going to say. Yeah. The only one that I've ever done that with was 2010-11 in the game Enshrined. Yep. Nice set. And it's a beautiful set. Absolutely beautiful. And those that don't know what it is, it's basically a set of, at the time, all of the Hockey Hall of Fame inductees. It's a portrait card, a sketch drawing of the player, and they're all numbered out of 175. But boxes of these were fairly expensive. And cases of them were expensive, I guess. It was more like the cup. Boxes were technically packs out of a box. So there were five five packs in a box, which were really boxes in a case. But I'm not here to argue semantics. But, you know, looking at that set, it's an absolutely beautiful set. It looks great in a binder, I'll tell you that. But again, all the cards are numbered out of 175. And nine times out of 10, if you find these on the secondary market, you're not going to pay less than five bucks a piece for these. You're just not. And who wants to build a base set where the base cards are five bucks each or more? That's not an undertaking that a lot of people are going to grab. So I will agree with the the argument that there aren't a lot of set collectors out there anymore. It's because there can't be. It's not affordable for people. And the fact that you look at an instance like we were just talking about in this show, is you have Upper Deck puts out their base set, and you have Series 1 and you have Series 2. Now you have Extended for the second year where you've increased the checklist to 700 cards and you have 150 short printed rookies. If you're going to build an actual base one until the end of the numbered cards, that's the undertaking that you have to take. And when it boils down to that, I mean, think about it. You got to buy a case, at least a case in order to have a shot at getting the young guns, all of them. No set builder I know is out there buying cases in order to build a set. I got news for you. Especially when, by the time something's released, within a week to two weeks, all of the case breakers have full sets posted and listed for sale for dirt cheap. I looked before we went on the show earlier today, and I found somebody that for 10 bucks shipping, which is kind of a lot, but they were selling Series 1, Series 2, and Series 3 for 3 bucks. You had to pay 10 bucks shipping, but you could get each of the sets for 3 bucks. Wow. One, two, extended. Not the not the young guns, keep in mind. No, no. It's just the base cards, but still. So you're investing $9 plus 10 whatever it would be for the shipping. I'm sure they charged extra for if you bought all three. So really, you're in this for less than $30. And how much is a box of just one series? 100 for extended? Yeah, it's about 100 bucks. For 130, 140 still for Series 2, mm. about 120 for Series 1 now, because the prices have come down a little bit. Series 2 is down to about 90 bucks a box now. But a lot of the things people saying about Extended is the one thing that's carrying it is the fact that the Cider Young Gun Canvas is in it. So they saved that for Extended. So that gives you a shot at a, a higher-end Young Gun, but it's a Canvas one. But still, I mean, that's a lot of money that you'd be forking out if you were trying to build the set on your own by busting packs because you're not going to get there with just one box of each. You're probably not going to get there with two boxes of each. 
maybe base sets, but not the young guns for sure. Oh no. You're just then left chasing all the other stuff. So, and I'm not talking master set builders, you know, anybody that's on that 1% of the 1% and they're master set builders, those people are crazy. I'm just saying that right now. I mean, it's hard enough to be a regular set builder, to be one of those master set builders. That's nuts. That's straight up craziness. And I definitely wouldn't try to go down that path. I've tried to put together too many extra insert sets and everything else of the base sets that I'm already trying to build, let alone chasing master sets, especially these days when every set has 12 different parallels of every card that's in it. And if you looked at, they released the Opichi sell sheet for 22. And lo and behold, you look on the sell sheet, there's the base and there's also red and blue and green and pink and black parallels of everything. So a 700 card base set with five or six different parallels and good luck. That's why people don't build sets. It's practically impossible. Yeah, it is. You have a lot of cards left over that most people don't want. Or once they have one base set, they don't need more than one. So there's no other point. Like, yeah, it's kind of sad when you have a complete base set and you're like, well, do I buy another box? And then you're like, well, I mean, I'm going to get the 167 base cards that I'm going to pull from this box are going to be all doubles because I have a complete base set. So then you're like, okay. But then I might get six young guns that I need, or maybe I'll need three of the six or four of the six or whatever. Maybe I'll get a cool insert. Maybe I'll get an autograph. Maybe I'll get a cool jersey card. Maybe I'll get a cool retro parallel, right? And so I guess in a way, that's why I don't mind one insert per pack, because it kind of gives you other reasons to buy another box other than just those six young guns. But then at the same time, it's like, you're only really buying it for those six young guns. So the other stuff is kind of like nice to have, but it's not necessary. So it becomes throwaway fodder, really. Well, I mean, to the right person, if it's a player you collect, it's another card that you want. If it's an insert set that you like, like I really liked the 2021 portraits that had that 90s design. I was all over those. You're probably all over the OPG updates from upper deck series too because you said build low peachy right so i mean i do but i don't chase those ones you don't those are very very low priority but they're still part they're, of the old peachy set they are but they're harder to get yeah it depends on how crazy i get with like eh, do i really want this do i not want to want it if it ends up on the checklist then i'm gonna get it but if i don't put it on my checklist chances are i don't go after it any last thoughts before we wrap this one up and call it a podcast I think it was a podcast when we started recording. Yeah, well, we're calling it a show. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell other hockey fans and hockey card collectors. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.